This is an EWTN Newslink. I'm Teresa Tomio from Catholic Connection. Cardinal Raymond Burke has been removed from a ventilator and will move from the ICU to a hospital room as he continues to battle COVID-19. According to a weekend update on the Cardinal's health, he was able to speak by phone with his sister over the weekend, expressing his deep gratitude for the many prayers offered on his behalf. The Cardinal's family asking we continue those prayers for his full and speedy recovery. And the Vatican imposing penalties on another Catholic bishop in Poland after he was found to have mishandled cases of sexual abuse of minors by priests in his diocese. The Vatican has banned retired Archbishop Marian Golubuski from taking part in any public ceremonies, both church and secular. For more news with a Catholic perspective, visit EWTNnews.com. I'm Teresa Tamio, and the doctor is in with Dr. Ray Garendi. Starts now. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Why do I have to be the insightful professional? Thank you for empowering me. Here's what I think is going on. I think you're hooting a half. My idea, my theory, my guidance is a bit of a stretch. I just love your show. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are really smart. I am sensitive and understanding and nurturing. Your show to me is like a comedy information show. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. What exactly is a hoot and a half? Does the hoot actually encompass the whole thing if you're a hoot that's it can you be more than a hoot it's kind of like being more than infinity infinity and a half or in toy story to infinity and beyond how can you go to infinity and beyond you can't less than zero well you can get into negative numbers they always confuse me when i was in college good to have you here i'm dr ray Garendi. program as it has always been the doctor is in. This is E-Person Monday, and I am diligent, not as diligent as I should be, avoiding the word male. E-Male Monday. Some might say, well, Dr. Ray, it's M-A-I-L. It's, it's not M-A-L-E. Never, nevertheless, nevertheless, our culture has become so prickly with words that offend that even if they sound like they're insensitive. A couple years back, someone used a word that meant something else totally, but it was heard as a word that was absolutely not allowed in our lexicon. And this man got in trouble. He got in big trouble. And it didn't matter that he said, wait, 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 that's not the word I was using. It didn't matter. It remotely sounded similar. So, I'm going to be very careful. There are times when I lapse, and I use the word email to refer to a missive that somebody has sent me. But we shall get to that. Some years ago, I was listening to a radio program, and the host was talking about how is it that the stats indicate that people who live together should they marry, have a higher chance of divorce? He was flummoxed. He was perplexed. He said 
That doesn't make any sense. That's, that's not intuitive. You get to know somebody. You know them by living with them. And then when you marry them, you're more sure of what the person is like, and that should increase the chances of marriage durability. That was his thinking. I called. And I offered this explanation. It is likely that people who live together have less of a moral commitment to the relationship. If someone believes in marriage deeply, usually predicated upon a system of faith-filled beliefs, then they are less likely to live together. That's pretty much an, an easy conclusion. That means that they are more likely, after marriage, to persevere. They are committed to their moral commitment. They are committed to their spouse. They maybe share the same faith-based values. So it's easy to extrapolate and to say, because they did not live together before marriage, Rather, they chose to commit to each other in a sacrament of marriage or a valid marriage, if it's in another Christian tradition, they are more likely to persevere through the downs of a marriage or the turbulence or the bumpy spots or the normal give-and-take growth of a marriage. Those who live together are saying... In essence, not so much, I'm living with you because I want to get to know you because I truly intend to marry you, so therefore I really want to see what you're like to live with. Uh, typically, my experience is that's not the way it is. They're living together perhaps with the consideration at some point in the future of marriage, if it goes in that direction, the relationship as they see it progresses to some sort of public, if not moral, commitment. However, it generally speaks of someone who doesn't practice the moral stance of you, you don't have these kinds of relations when you're not married. That's a way that I believe God has given us to live. It's a way that seems to work. And that's the way I want to live. Now, people that enter marriage with that attitude are much less likely to get divorced when the marriage hits bumpy spots or turbulence or even great assaults from one spouse or the other. And by assault, I mean emotional or adulterous assaults. So it makes perfect sense to me. Now, when I offered this explanation, and I had to keep it shorter than this, because this is my show and I can go on longer, but in those shows you have to make your point real quick. When I, when I offered that, he kind of accepted it reluctantly in, in essence saying, well, that's a perspective I hadn't considered. I'll have to think about it. But I found that interesting that that was a perspective he hadn't considered. Wouldn't that be a natural perspective to consider, even if you're not a religious person? 
that you would say, well, I would think that somebody that has a, a stronger moral commitment to a marriage would be less likely to get a divorce, even if they didn't live together. The stats are real clear on this. People who live together before marriage have a higher chance of getting divorced. It's that, it's that straightforward. Why? Well, it's predicated upon moral beliefs. That God gave us a way to live. He said it's the best way to live. Do it this way. And isn't it interesting, too, because the culture says we're smarter than God. The culture says, well, I believe we have to get to know each other. I have even read places where supposedly very sophisticated kind of folks have said, you have to determine whether you are physically compatible. So you do have to do a lot of experimenting physically before marriage. And this is fascinating because the divorce rate as little as 60 years ago was under 10%. In our culture now, under 10%. Now the culture, from a statistic perspective, was more religious. Higher church attendance, especially among Catholics, is probably double what it is now. But the culture itself had a little bit more consistent emotional, moral glue than it has now. So the divorce rate was much, much less. Now, if these theories are correct, that you have to live together so that you can know who you're living with, therefore you'll know better who to marry, or you have to experiment with each other physically so that you know you're compatible, then 60 years ago, when far less people did that, the divorce rate should have been higher. It was a fraction of what it is now. Oh, it was probably one-fifth of what it is now. So in 60 years, people basically said, I want to do it this way, not God's way. I don't, I don't, I don't buy God's way. I'm going to do it my way. And then when they end up with a very unsuccessful relationship, a very hurtful relationship, a very devastated relationship, they wonder why. Why did that happen? Shouldn't have happened. I, 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 I did what the culture told me to do. How come that? How come that didn't work out? Well, because if there is a God, and if He spoke to us and taught us His morals, then He knows the best way to live. When we come back, Yuri Persons, I'm Dr. Ray. <laughs> Solidarity HealthShare began out of the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. They're a nonprofit medical cost-sharing ministry in which their members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. They'll never share in a medical care that goes against their values and morals, such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization. More information available at SolidarityHealthShare.org or at 844-313-4999. 
Mississippi presented a brief to the Supreme Court, and in that brief, the state of Mississippi argued that the Constitution of the United States does not confer a right to abortion. Asking the court to finally admit the cases claiming there is such a right, Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, have been wrongly decided and need to be overruled. Now make no mistake, this is coming to a very different Supreme Court than we've had in the past because former President Trump kept his promise to appoint originalist judges. And even if we assume they regard Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey as bad decisions, we really don't know how they might go about revising, dismantling, you know, reforming Roe. This is going to be a very consequential Supreme Court case. Cresta in the Afternoon with Al Cresta for Eastern on EWTN Radio. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. You've heard of shock radio? This is shrink radio. I'm a shrink jock. This is Dr. A. Good to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. The TV show, Living Right with Dr. A, airs three times a week on the EWTN Global Catholic Television Network. Uh, the uh, initial show is usually at uh, 10 p.m. Saturday night, Eastern Time. And then it airs again on Tuesday and the following Friday. I guess they're going to keep airing it until I get it right. So good to have you with me. This uh, this e person Monday. I want to. Sometimes I go after these emails that that offer comments, and this one offered a comment it's from Derek. I'll be turning fifty one in a couple of days, and have spent the last year reflecting on my first fifty years. That's pretty impressive, actually, Derek. Reflecting about life. I got to tell you. That's a good start, because many people don't look back and say, you know, what would, what would I have done better? What could I have done differently? How can I learn? If you don't do that, pretty soon you're nearing the end of life and you're not much different than you were 50 years earlier. There are three pieces of advice that stand out. Now, this is interesting because he gives me credit for one of these. Nobody raises their kids with the intentions of messing them up. Dr. A, you've said this on more than one occasion. And as I look back, I did the best I could with the information I had if I had trusted the saints more than the secular. Now, I would imagine there are those pathologically oriented parents who go counter, strongly counter, to the innate protectiveness and love of parents. And that, in fact, <laughs> they, they don't care. At the very least, they don't care if they mess their kids up. There are those. I refer to many 
that I know in my practice here on the radio, television, who are people tried very hard to raise good kids. They, they just did. And they beat themselves up over their supposed mistakes or their miscalculations or their falling short over the last of their 30 child-rearing years. And to them, I say, you don't raise your kids with the intention of messing them up. Now, this must have struck a chord with Derek. Because I think when he said, if I had trusted the saints more than the secular, in other words, I kind of got pulled into raising my kids the way the culture around me was directing me. I didn't mean to affect my children as they are now, perhaps lack of faith, perhaps making some self-defeating, self-destructive decisions. But he's reflected back on it. He's 51 years old, so you got to figure his kids are probably in their 20s. He says, that I look back, I did the best I could. Yes, that, that's the way it is with most parents. We do the best we could, given what we knew at the time. I look back on beginning to raise my first couple of kids, and I thought I had pretty decent judgment. But the way I looked at some of the things when I raised those first kids, compared to the way I raised the last kids, I think I learned some stuff. Even as a psychologist, I think I learned some stuff at the emotional level as a parent. I relaxed more. I laughed more. And you get so shook up over stuff. And this is the second thing Derek says he learned. When G.K. Chesterton responded to a newspaper that asked him what the problem was with the world, he said, I am. I think that is one of the most succinct, the most on target, the most beautiful responses to why the world is the way it is. Why is the world the way it is? What's the cause of this? I am. Not meaning that I'm doing all of these things that are making the world go sour. It's meaning that I'm a sinner like everybody else. Derek said this one hit home. I may get upset when some public official is criticized every day, but I have no problem when another is given the exact same treatment. Now this one, this is number three, this one particularly lingered with Derek. This is what psychologists call projection. In my 30s, I heard this. There is something about that fella that I do not like about myself. The best I understood this at the time, and after a year of reflection, that's a lot of reflection, Derek, is that when I get upset with someone, I probably have done something similar. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that, and Sigmund Freud, way, way back, coined the defense mechanism projection. Now, Freud had a very very narrow definition of projection. What he meant was when someone was in psychoanalysis and they free associated their conflicts in their little psyche and the therapist, the analyst, sat behind them so that they couldn't see the analyst, they were to project onto the analyst their conflicts, their psychic struggles. Projection's got a broader definition now. It means 
I see in you, I'm sensitive in you, what I struggle with myself. I know that's true for me. I am very sensitive to certain things people say because I know that I have had a lifelong struggle with those very same habits. I know it. There's no doubt about it. He says, now this I didn't know, and uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what he means by this. For example, here in Texas, stopping at red lights are optional. What, does, that, that, does that mean that if you pull up to a red light in Texas, there's no cross traffic, it acts as a, a stop sign, and you can just go through? Because I remember back when Carter was president, and they said you could turn right on red with caution. That was in the late 70s. I, I remember thinking, oh, there's going to be so many accidents, so, so many accidents, all these people turning right on red with caution. They're going to miscalculate how fast the cross traffic is coming. Well, that didn't happen. Okay? It did not happen. There seemed to be something about stopping, then turning right on red with caution, although most people roll through red with caution. So he says, here in Texas, y- y- now, I- I'm wondering if he's saying that's a, that's a law where he is, or that seems to be what people do. They look both ways. They don't see a police officer. They just go. Okay. He says, when I see this happen, I get upset. It's like they're scofflaws, I guess. Then I realize. A couple of days ago, there was a traffic law I didn't follow. Or if I run a red light. Do the same thing at the next intersection. He says, I'm not sure if I'm on the right track or I've missed the point. No, Derek, I think you're on the right track. I think that, that it, in fact, it is very good to be sensitive to that in ourselves, in ourselves that, that we, we notice so, so, so easily with others. Do I have time in this? Yeah, I think I do. Our six children came home from public school and the university when COVID hit. My husband and I decided to keep the three youngest at home this school year. Our oldest went back to university in the fall. Interestingly enough, she calls it university. I I would wonder, oh, no, she's from Illinois. Okay, no, I thought she would be from Canada because that's what they call it in Canada. Our two middle oldest went back to their public high school in January. What do I do if all the kids want to go back to public school? Their dad and I are on the same page, wanting to keep them home. I'd like to keep all the youngest four at home. Our oldest is graduating. She calls it university, so maybe she's from Canada. And by that, I, I'm thinking, does she mean college or does she mean high school? Either way. She must mean college because she says the next in line will be a senior in high school next school year. How do we fight this battle? which it has become. Homeschool kids are just not socialized, as my daughter said yesterday. I beg to differ. But how do we put our foot down and keep it down? Well, see, this is not a how question, Mom. This is a do question. Parents will say, well, how do I make this decision? Well, you make the decision. I think what she's saying is, how do we resist our children's resistance? 
How do we make them understand that this is what we want to do and it goes completely against what they want us to do? That's really what parents ask in these kinds of cases. How do we do this and keep doing this even though our children are fighting us? How do we keep strong? This is her now. How do we keep strong when we are grossly outnumbered? If a home was a voting democracy, any mom and dad who had two children would be at least tied and three would lose. Fortunately, it's not a voting democracy. It is a benevolent monarchy. You are in charge. You make the best decisions. I think what you're saying is, I don't want the everyday hassle that our kids are going to try to put us through because of this. They'll nag. They'll get resentful. They may even get deceptive and sneaky. They may not cooperate. They may do everything in their power to sabotage us. I think that's what you're saying. In fact... If you make this decision and you believe it's for the well-being of your children, you make it. And then you will have to deal with the misconduct that occurs because of it. If they get disrespectful, if they get uncooperative, you will have to discipline that. You will have to deal with it. But, But what if they're resentful? Well, you hope that that resentment will abate as time goes on and they find out that This is not so awful, this is not so terrible, and they like being able to sleep in, and they like getting their work done by noon. And they they like not having homework. Okay, Mom. Why do we need Catholic Radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? Catholic Radio's there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Father Wade thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Does the Fourth Commandment only order us to honor our father and our mother? According to the Catholic Catechism, it also obliges us to give honor and respect to all whom for our good God has vested with his authority. Respecting the Fourth Commandment, says the Catechism, brings its own reward, not only with spiritual fruits, but temporal benefits of peace and prosperity whereas failure to observe the commandment brings harm to individuals and communities. We are reminded that marriage and the family is ordered to the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of children. The Catechism states a man and a woman united in marriage together with their children is what forms a family. God instituted the human family when he created man and woman and instructed them to increase and multiply. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Ray. My latest book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist, Listen to Him, talks about how Jesus was 2,000 years ahead of modern enlightened psychology. 
If he's God, he knows the absolute best way to live, whether psychology agrees or whether it doesn't. Go to AveMariaRadio.net to get your copy. Jesus will tell you the best way to live. Speaking two to four hundred words a minute with Gus up to eight hundred. Beginning to start a nationwide series of support groups for parents who talk too much at their children. I'm going to call it on and on and on. Good to have you with me. Dr. Ray Garendi, the program doctor is in. Dan McGraw is monitoring the boards. He's the man on the boards. Little basketball lingo there. This is E Person Monday where I had to find some way to answer at least some percentage of the e-persons that come in. A lot of them. A lot, just a lot of them. And um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm working my way through the stack, but the stack keeps getting bigger. Dr. Ray, I'm a 27-year-old woman who has recently begun dating. Again, after five years of being single. At 22, I was engaged had to break it off because of an instance of physical abuse coupled with some other disturbing behaviors, which didn't become clear to me until the physical incident. My ex, meaning her ex-boyfriend, used to tell me he had people spying on me and reporting my behavior to him. He would accuse me. He isolated me. I took years of this before I realized what was happening and ended it. My first ever relationship. I've always wanted to be a wife and mother. Interestingly enough, I, you know, this this is one of the big social byproducts of what we have done to our culture, especially to young women. It has become tougher and tougher and tougher for them to find a male, responsible, mature that wants to be committed in marriage to his wife and children. It is epidemic. It is one result of the sexual revolution, which was supposed to free up women, and what it has done is hurt women. It's hurt them badly. Totally mischaracterized the relationship between the sexes, and especially how many men would respond to the sexual revolution. She goes on. I've always wanted to be a wife and mother, so I finally decided I'm not getting any younger, and I put myself out there. She put that in quotes. I've met and begun dating a guy who so far seems really wonderful, devout, devoted to his family, hardworking, cool hobbies, funny, and now I feel this incredible sense of fear. Well, that's understandable here, because you got burned the first time around after a long term, and you didn't see it. So you're thinking, am I missing it? I understand that. My mother says, I'll just know. And she puts that in quotes, when I meet the right person. <laughs> this is a great line. She says, but I'm afraid my just knower is faulty or broken altogether. Well, I don't think you have to worry about the just know. I, I don't buy that at all. Just know. That implies you'll know in your heart. You'll know in your feelings. No. 
you'll know as you get to know the person and you see them in a wide range of circumstances. You learn about their history. You see how they treat others. You see how they treat their family. That's a huge indicator. So your just knowing will be based upon what you're just seeing over a period of time. The longer that you know the person, the more likely you are to be accurate in holding them as a spouse. I'm afraid that either I'll get myself pulled into another terrible relationship or marriage, or I'll squander an opportunity to have a family with a great person because my emotions won't work correctly after what happened to me before. Okay, Lauren, I don't want to say this is a simple solution. It's a straightforward solution. Take your time. That's all. If this is a good person, like he seems, you'll see that. You'll become more convinced of that with time. If he's not, you will also see that. But if you live in fear and saying, what if, what if, what if, what if I miss it? What if I, what if I don't see it? What if I, my just knower, I love the way you put that, my just knower is faulty. Well, don't count on your just knower count on what you know okay I had a great time on our first date but all now I'm sitting at home I feel scared I'm scared I'll have the right kind of feelings for the wrong situation or the wrong feelings and ruin the right kind of relationship I'm equally afraid of ending up alone because I can't get myself to pull the trigger again am I choosing the wrong person am I myself the wrong person well that's a lot of overthinking there you know that Lauren and then it kind of just gave me an indication later here in the e-person why you're prone to this overthinking. I don't think this painful mini-crisis I'm experiencing is about the man I've started dating at all, really. And I agree with you on that one, Arn. I don't think it is either. I think you, you, you miss things the first time around. But remember, you're a different person now. You're not 22 anymore. You're 27. So you have more experience. 22, you were starstruck. You're thinking, this is, this is the relationship. And then with time, it showed itself not to be the relationship. Let me ask you a question. That's a dumb way to say this. Let me ask you a question. Here's my question. Is this person that you are dating now, by all appearances, quite different than the person you dated back when, even in the beginning? That's the question. Now, it sounds like you're saying he is. Now, here's your answer. I was diagnosed with OCD in my early 20s. I'm hoping you might have some advice. I do. If you're prone to OCD, you probably overthink. You probably ruminate. You probably sit at home and let this stuff spin in your head. Instead of saying, I think I found a pretty good guy here, and I'm excited to let this play out. If it doesn't play out well, it won't be the end of my world. But if it does play out well, I found a great person. There's no hurry. You don't have to just know just yet. What you do is you enjoy the relationship. There's no sign that it's bad. You're not saying to yourself, you know, he's got good qualities and he's got bad qualities, and I'm afraid the bad qualities are going to take over. You're not saying that. You're saying, from everything I see, this is a good man. Okay. Don't infuse it with stuff that isn't there yet. 
but but maybe he isn't a good man. You know, maybe, maybe there's stuff lingering, and I'm going to get burned again. Well, there's always that possibility. But the longer you go in this relationship, and the more you see things admirable about him, the less likely that is to happen. So, simple answer, straightforward answer. Take your time, continue to get to know him, and do not look for flaws that aren't there. And don't go home after every date hyper-analyzing everything he said or did. You know that's part of your tendency to ruminate. Enjoy this. Very possible. God put this person in your path. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he taught us a great lesson. He taught us that he came for the sinner, not the virtuous. He came for you because you are imperfect, because sin comes easy to you, and sometimes you don't have the willpower to say no. But you see, if you understood the awesomeness of God and all his power and all his wonder, and he comes down to our level, he wanted to feel, how do you feel? I don't know anybody that loves anyone that much. And this imperfect being that's you and me and all of us, he did it for us. That's why you should never despair, because you're imperfect. For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. Here's the new challenge. At least one hour a week in front of the Blessed Sacrament with the goal of an hour a day in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I had a guy come up to me and he says, Father, you know, I'm doing a lot of things. I'm, I'm in a men's fellowship. I pray with my wife every day. I go to Mass every Sunday and, and usually a couple times during the week. I read Scripture. He goes, I want more. I said, do you pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament? He said, outside of Mass, no. I said, I think that's the more. See, all these saints, these are the ones who surround us. These are the ones who ran before us. These are the ones who fought well, who kept the faith. They would tell you, as would every single saint in heaven right now, you cannot run this race if you don't spend time with the Master. Whatever else we're doing... It's second, third, and fourth. First things need to be first. And the first thing is to be with the Master. And the Master is Jesus. Good to have you with me. I'm Dr. Ray. This, again, is E-Person Monday. This comes from an anonymous person. He says, since the current culture is changing rapidly, I feel we all need better skills to cope. What are your thoughts on the following subjects? I like those big, open-ended, generic kinds of... And he gave me 
generic kinds of questions. I didn't finish my thought. One, two, three, four, five. All right, I'll do a couple of them now, and then a couple of them in a future show. Adults who get agitated, loud, and obnoxious in front of others in public. What do you do when you can't avoid that situation? How can you help de-escalate their behavior? What can you say or do? Well, it's easier for me to tell you what you cannot say or do. Don't challenge them. Don't argue with them. Don't get into it with them. If they're going to get loud and obnoxious arguing about something or making accusations, you're at a place where I don't know how much you can do to calm them down. You you can probably say things like, oh, okay, okay, I, I got you. I'm with you. Let's, uh, there's people around. Let's try to be quiet. But you know as well as I do there's a less than 50-50 chance that'll work because that just agitates them more. I think the better thing you can do... <laughs> is kind of allow them to be loud and obnoxious and hope it doesn't last too long and don't fuel it. The natural temptation is to confront it, either to argue with it, to point it out, to say some kind of calming words that just generally inflame the situation when you got somebody on an emotional roll they're more often than not impervious to reason and here's the other question is this a one-time thing or is this a pattern well you're describing it it's probably a pattern so anything that's a pattern is far less likely to be amenable to calming down or to be truncated eliminated a couple of thoughts here's another one what about a family who won't stop harassing you because you disagree with them regarding politics and religion and who can't accept you have your own opinions how do you get them to leave you alone again what can you say or do well I'm reading between the lines here anonymous that when they harass you because you disagree with them means you're arguing with them it's kind of a it's kind of a, a parallel to what you just described about somebody being loud and obnoxious in public you argue with them they're not going to calm down so if your family is harassing you you, you could have a showstopper by saying something like well that's how you look at it this is how i look at it and then if they continue to go after you and they cite how you look at it so that they can argue with what they cite, give them a dumb look as if to say, I'm, I'm not going to go any further with this. They're going to harass you if you keep trying to convince them that you have the better argument. Now, what I would do in situations like that is I would ask them how they came to that conclusion what they think about that, where they get that information. That's all. I, I would not dispute them. I would not challenge them. I would make them explain to me why they think the way they do, why they see things the way they do. That's all. Now, they're probably going to get even madder because I've, I've experienced that when you do that to people, they don't like to have to 
present the logic, the thinking behind their opinions, because much of the time they haven't thought it out. For example, let's just take the very common topic of abortion. A woman has to choose. That's all. It's a woman's right. No man should tell a woman. Do you think it's a baby? What I think doesn't matter. What I think doesn't matter. It's the woman's decision. It's in her body. So it wouldn't matter if it's a human being or not to you? The questioning approach is something therapists do. They have to get inside a person's head. They have to try to understand their thinking. They may not agree with their thinking. They may see that their thinking is causing them all kinds of life problems. But they have to get inside their head. Now, he asks also, what then about adults who constantly tell you what to think and what to do and who think they are experts on every subject when they are obviously not? How do you get them to stop? What can you say or do? Well, I guess somebody can tell me what to think or do, and I just can look at them. I don't have to defend myself and say, I don't want to do that. That makes no sense to me. That's immoral. I, I kind of would partly just kind of look at them. Well, you know what you need to do? I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to take out a loan. That's, that's really dumb for you putting that money over there in the checking account. You take out a loan. This is what you'll do. And they have their opinions, and they're very strong in these opinions. If you want to end it, you can say, well, yeah, I'll think about it. And that's it. You're done. You're not implying you're going to do anything about it. Part of it is, the question I would have for you is, why do you get so upset when people come across as though they are experts on everything, when they're obviously not, when they're taking their opinion as the way to do it? and the way you should do it. And if it's a relative, it's someone you have a, a reasonably consistent contact with at family gatherings or visits or anything like that, you got to get better at letting them speak their piece, nodding, I'll ponder it, that's a good thought, never thought about it that way, and then do what you want. I used to have a standard joke when I used to play in the restaurants, we had, uh, oftentimes, we would say that the the managers were basically the heads of the fiefdom. This was, this was their domain. And they were going to tell you exactly what to play, how to play it. So what did we do? We said, we nodded. We nodded. Thank you. Good suggestion. And then we did what we would do as musicians. We knew they weren't musicians. We knew they didn't know. We knew they had never played anywhere. Yeah, was it their place? Yeah. And if they wanted to get rid of us, they could. But short of that, we just were agreeable and, and went about our business. And I think that's what you do with people who try to tell you how to think, how to perceive, how to invest financially, what you should look at politically, how you should alter your morals. Now, there will be some topics where you won't say, I'll think about it. You know. Well, you know, you need to consider... The woman in an abortion. And you might say, I do. I do consider it. But I consider the baby's life of utmost importance. It sounds, though, like here's what's really bugging you. It sounds like they're implying, in your mind, they're implying that you don't know it. You don't know enough. You're not smart enough. You're not competent enough. You're wrong. And that's what bothers you. That they 
think you're less competent or you have less solid, good ideas about things than you do. You think you do. And their implication is your way off. And that bugs you badly. Why? Well, because you don't like being put down by that. So one thing I would suggest is that you quit interpreting it personally. These are people who just want to give you their opinion because it makes them feel like they're really smart. Makes them feel like they just know so much. And if the implication in your mind is, well, then they're saying I don't know so much. So what? Is it worth it? Is it worth it getting upset? How do you get them to stop? You don't. How are you going to get them to stop? Are you going to just basically launch back at them? Why do you think you're so smart about everything? Why do you think your opinion is the best way everybody should live? You know, you act like an expert. You don't know what you're talking about half the time. You could do that. Ain't going to work all that well. Better just to smile. Do what you want. This program brought to you in part by the nonprofit Angelicum Academy. This is Father Joseph Essio. I have an important message for all you homeschooling families. You can get an outstanding and fully accredited Catholic college education and save $100,000. To learn how, go to angelicum.net. That's angelicum.net. Earn 75 college credits and an associate's degree in high school for just $3,500 a year. And earn your BA degree just one year later at age 19. Check this out at angelicum.net. Bishop Robert Barron on the priesthood. Not everyone who's attracted to uh, the Lord and to a life of service is necessarily meant to be a priest. So there's all kinds of forms. I mean, from, let's say, the brotherhood, if you want to stay within a formal religious context, but then all kinds of ministries within a parish, all kinds of lay ministries that you can do. So not everyone's called to the priesthood. A priest is someone who is dedicated, devoted to ongoing study and ongoing prayer to be a spiritual father. As Pope Benedict said, one of his wisest remarks, he said, people want many things from a priest, but what they want above all is someone who's a master of the spiritual life. Hey, I'm great at this ministry, and hey, I'm great at organizing this meeting, and hey, I'm great. Fine, but ultimately what the people want is you're a master of the spiritual life. You gotta be, therefore, trained in prayer and theology and spirituality and so on. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. In the past, I have 
read some what he called New Year's resolutions from John Roseman. Roseman was a very popular parenting columnist who would be considered very traditional in his in his conservative approach, which he embraced after raising his children uh, much more psychologically enlightened as he admits it. And he realized one time in his columns, he said the, the average grandma seems to have more child-rearing sense than many supposed experts. So he wrote a number of resolutions, and I've I pick and chose, pick and chose, picked and chose a few of them over time. And I want to offer just a couple more of them. He says, we, I mean, he's referring to he and his wife, will put our children to bed early so that we can end each day reconnecting as a couple or relaxing. That's something my wife and I followed. You know, back when we had the 10 kids under 12, uh, you realize what craziness bedtime could become. If that bedtime stretched into 10 o'clock, that's well past my bedtime. So we had a very, very structured bedtime. And if you didn't adhere to it, there were going to be consequences. You wouldn't like the consequences you were going to face the next day if you gave us grief at bedtime. So consequently, we really had minimal problems And my wife and I could sit down and talk to each other, watch something, just enjoy the silence and the fact that it smelled good. He said this, and this is something we had to do because we had so many kids of similar ages. We will keep extracurricular activities to a minimum. Hmm. And only let them enroll in activities that do not prevent us from delivering on number 11, which was we will put our children to bed early. We had to do that. Um, When our kids moved into, let's say, the uh, 6, 7 to 18, 19 age range, even if each child had one extracurricular activity, That is 10 extracurricular activities. I don't even know how we could have gotten around to bringing them and picking them up from these activities, much less being in the audience or in the stands or wherever. What we were forced to do is that we parceled out. Whose turn is it this summer? Whose turn is it this time? Many parents will come to me exhausted. They have one, two, three children. And they are nothing but flying in every direction as parents. And sometimes they can't even sit together to watch an event because one's got to be here, one's got to be there. And they say to me, but, but isn't it good? They learn discipline, they learn skills, isn't this good? And I say, well, be careful you don't pursue the good at the cost of the best. Yes, these things are good in and of themselves. They're not bad. But the question becomes, what do you have to give up to pursue them to the extent that the child might want? I frequently know parents whose kids are in three, four, five activities. And they see that as filling up childhood. But there are many ways to fill up childhood. Reading. Being bored. 
One mother told me she was nominated for an exceptional family, and she said, I want my children to have plenty of boring time so they can fill it up with pursuits of things like reading or game playing or even talking to me if I'm the only one around. It's true. If you have a frenetic whirlwind, it's tough. But I think many parents feel guilty giving up some of those activities because they think they're shortchanging their kids. You're not. You have to just pick and choose what would best fit into the family schedule that you'd like. I got to go. I appreciate very much you keeping me company on this E-Person Monday. I thank Dan McGraw for managing the boards. Good Lord permitting, I'll see you tomorrow where we can talk ear to ear, voice to ear. I'm Dr. Ray. Walk with God. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Is your marriage struggling? You are not alone. The past 18 months have stressed many couples' relationships. There is help. Retrovi is a highly successful Christian peer ministry that helps couples heal and renew their marriages. The next program in San Antonio begins September 17th. For more information or to register, go to helpourmarriage.org or call 210-848-3278. The Guadalupe Radio Network would like to thank Dr. Christopher York, an ENT doctor practicing in medical and surgical treatments of disorders of the ears, nose, and throat with an emphasis on thyroid and parathyroid surgery. Dr. York is also past president of the Catholic Physicians Guild of San Antonio and can be reached locally at 210-499-4589. Thank you, Dr. York, for your support of the Guadalupe Radio Network. The San Antonio Archdiocese Knights of Columbus chapter is holding our annual clergy and religious appreciation dinner on Friday, September 24th at Holy Trinity Catholic Church from 6 to 9 p.m. Tickets are only $60 per person or $480 for a table of eight. Included is a three-course meal and bar service. If you'd like to donate to help with ticket costs for retired priests, clergy, or religious, or to purchase tickets, call Tom Kruger at 210-889-3993. God bless. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. This is 89.7 FM KJMA Radio, Floresville, San Antonio. Also online at grnonline.com. We don't mess with the truth. Hear it, love it, live it is that the responsibilities of marriage and family can be challenging at times. Good times can become bad in the blink of an eye. Things like financial hardship and sickness, among others, very often bring about fears and anxieties that make it difficult to be as loving as we should be. There is a simple Latin phrase to keep on hand when fear and anxiety take over our thoughts. Quid est hoc ad aeternitatem? What is this in the light of eternity? In other words, 
keep things in proper perspective. While the challenges here on this earth seem like a big deal at the moment, they are but a flash in the pan compared to all of eternity in heaven. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. Check us out on Facebook.